Thank you for joining this sermon podcast from Cornerstone Fellowship in Forest City, North Carolina. We hope that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message. Cornerstone exists to glorify God as we passionately pursue Him and make Him known through worship, discipleship, fellowship, and outreach. Here's today's message. 1 Peter chapter 2, we'll begin reading in verse 4. And coming to Him as a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture. Now he's going to quote Isaiah 28, 16. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone. And he who believes in him will not be disappointed. The cornerstone of any structure in that day determined the right angle. And everything was built off of that. They didn't have a transit to shoot lines with. But they would build off of that cornerstone. And if anything didn't align itself with that cornerstone, then it was out of kilter. And it could identify as being in kilter, but that wouldn't matter. It wouldn't work. It'd be like you building a house and wanting to add on and not have foundation for the add-on. Just build it best you can. It won't last. The foundation always determines the shape and size of the structure and this cornerstone that God told 800 years before Christ was born. He said, I will come one day and I will lay a stone in Zion and everyone who aligns themselves with it will be right with me. And those who ignore it will do so to their own peril. He says, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed, but the precious value, this precious value then is for you who believe, but for those who disbelieve, he says, the stone which the builders rejected, he's quoting now from Psalm 118, this became the very cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, for they stumble because they are disobedient to the word and to this doom they were also appointed. It didn't catch me off guard, God said. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, he says, a people for God's own possession so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. So he's writing to us Gentiles. You weren't a people. When God talked about his people, he wasn't talking about you. But God had a plan a long time ago. He, it wasn't like you caught him off guard, no. All the way back in Hosea chapter 2, verse 23, he says, one of these days I'll be glorified by people that are not you, Israel. Some people that's going to make you really jealous, but you have, and Moses would tell them this in Deuteronomy. God told Moses, he says, you tell these people that you have worshipped some things that are not God. He says, one of these days I love on a nation of people that is not you. And he was talking about us Gentiles. For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy. But now you have received mercy. Praise the Lord. I love that old Fanny Crosby song, Tell Me the Story of Jesus. I like looking up these old songs, and of course I knew who wrote this one, but it's amazing when you see a song that you know was written in the 1800s, and it's uh, on the internet, they say Alan Jackson wrote it. I don't think so. 
Fanny Crosby was a young lady when a doctor messed up with his procedure and blinded her for the rest of her life. And instead of feeling sorry for herself or getting all down about it, she wrote about 8,000 hymns. Man, if he'd have crippled her in both legs, she might have written 20,000. But she was a child of God who loved the Lord with all of her heart. And she wrote that old song, Tell Me the Story of Jesus. And that's what we're going to look at today because this passage, I, I know it has some language in it that we'll kind of sort out as we go. But man, I got to tell you something. This is a story of Jesus. It's, it's, and the story of Jesus is basically this. It, there, there was a God who needed nothing or no one. He was self-sustaining. But he was love. That was one of his characteristics. As a matter of fact, later he would tell us through his word that I am love. And within himself, because he's not restricted like we are, he didn't create us with uh, uh, three different persons. I, I just am who I am, I, and, that, and that's it. If you see this body here at church, you know I'm here. I hate it when people tell me, well, I wasn't there in body, but I was there in spirit. No, you weren't. You just can't do that. But God could. He could have a relationship with himself. He was the first community that ever existed, and it existed before the foundation of the world. But, but for some reason, God wanted something that, that could reciprocate that that love with him. So he creates this universe and he puts this place called earth in the middle of it and he creates animals and all kinds of things and then he creates human beings. But he made us actually out of created things and he made us with his own hands. He didn't just say let man be as he did like. No, this was more personal. And he made us with his very hands. And then he gave us something. He gave us something that he already knew. When I give them the ability to love, you see, you can't love without free will. God's got enough robots in his creation. He's got enough things that always do what he says. But he wanted something that could reciprocate that love, and it didn't catch him off guard. But he created Adam and Eve, and yep, when it came time for them to make the choice, they made a terrible one. And humanity was cursed. And that's in the third chapter of the very first book of the Word of God. And the next 66 books is the story of how God straightened all of that out and gave us an opportunity to have that relationship with Him once again, to redeem us, to buy us back from that that enslavement to sin so that we could have that personal relationship with him. And one of these days, he says, finally, we will be glorified. In other words, everything that has happened to us because of sin, every ailment, every frailty, everything that sin has done to us will disappear and be gone forever. And God will do away with all wickedness and anything that has come against him, and we will be glorified and live with him forever. You know, I always thought it was great that Jesus had a borrowed tune. You gals sang about that a while ago. Wow. A borrowed tune. I wonder if I could do that. Just tell him I won't need it forever. Because one of these days I will be gone. I, we're going to be with him. We'll be resurrected. We will rise with him. But I, I, I just, all of that is the story of Jesus. And there's so many things that you could say about it. You could just get all into the quagmire with it. But, but I, I want us to look at some things that Peter says. Now remember why we're doing First Peter. Peter is near the end of his life and he's writing to a church that is facing some difficult times, just like the church is today. He is writing to some believers that are wondering where God is. Why hasn't he already come back? We thought he would be here any time. You can even see it in Paul's writings. That at first, Paul is like, hey, don't even get married because God's coming back and that's just a hassle that you don't need. Well, 
now, if you look at Paul's later writings over maybe in the book of Ephesians, you can tell that Paul has resolved himself to the fact that, well, maybe God's not coming back as soon as we thought, but he's coming. Peter is writing to the church. He's saying, I know you're facing some difficult times, but here is a word for you. Here is a word of promise. Here is a word of instruction. And, and that's why we're going through First Peter, a sermon series. This is sermon number six of a series entitled, Our Living Hope. And that's what he calls Jesus Christ. God's plan of redemption is what he shares with us today. Well, he could get into some deeper truth, but he says, make sure you know, first of all, how you got saved. And so let's let him teach us that today. God's plan of redemption. First of all, the person chosen by God. The person chosen by God was Jesus Christ or God himself. Verse 4, and coming to him as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. He is a living stone. Now, now what does that mean? We, we can act like, yeah, well, I, that, yeah, I got that, amen. What does that mean, a living stone? Well, first of all, he's going to tell us three things about himself, but just understand this. First of all, he is a living stone uh, in contrast to the old temple. Because remember something, this will always help Scripture to make sense for you. The tabernacle, which was mobile, which later became the temple, was our way of communicating with God. That was the one place on this entire earth that God would pierce this darkness and come into our world and, and, and the high priest would go in in our behalf. He would have himself cleansed of his sins and then he would go in and he would approach God on our behalf. And that always happened either in the tabernacle or when the tabernacle was made a permanent structure in Jerusalem, it would take place there. But then later, after Jesus Christ came and Jesus died on the cross, that veil that no one dared walk through was torn from the top to the bottom, which indicated that now through Jesus Christ, we can approach God. This is an awesome thing. First of all, he is approachable. I've given it away. He is one, number one, Peter says, who is approachable. It says, and, and coming to him, sin had separated us from God. We were alienated from him because of sin. God is a holy God. And I know we're thinking from a human standpoint, and that's because of that old sin nature of ours. Well, if he's God, why don't he just make up a different set of rules? That's, well, because he's God. He doesn't jump around like some religion that we made up. All of ours can do whatever we want our gods to do. We can create a, 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 a being named Allah, and we can just have him do all kinds of things. Give him the, he'll give us the okay to kill people we don't like and all kinds of stuff. And, and we can have all kinds of other gods that we created. But this God created us, and he says, I am true to my word. I am true to my nature. I'm immutable. I don't change. So... When I said, hey, I, I'm a holy God and I can't have anything to do with anything that's not holy, that includes the pinnacle of my creation, which is human beings. But God had a plan. Sin had separated us from God. We were aliens and strangers to God. Now we're aliens and strangers in this world, Peter says, because now we have a relationship with God. That's some great news for us. And, man, I think it is so cool. You know, one of the worst things that ever happened in the history of the church was when, when Christianity, that simple faith in Christ, became an institutionalized and became what we know of today as the Catholic Church. It's one of the worst things that ever happened because the Catholic Church basically put itself in the place of Christ and says, if you want access to God, then you have to go through us. And they laid out all kinds of extravagant plans, many of which they still hold to this day. And it is nothing but a lie. It is a lie. It is not scriptural. And, 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 and you can tell them I said that, and I, and I hope they will come so mad they want to know why I said it. And then I'll tell them about how much Jesus loves them. 
and how they can quit dilly-dallying around with religion and have a real relationship with God because through Jesus Christ, we can now approach God. And by the way, they say Peter was the first pope. He's the guy that's writing this letter to us. He says, no, you don't need a pope. You don't need some long list of sacerdotalistic, if that is a word, uh, uh, holy orders and all of that. You don't need seven sacraments. You don't need permission from the church. You don't need to pay anybody penance. The price has already been paid, paid by Jesus Christ. And we have access to God through His Son, Jesus Christ. He is approachable. Secondly, He is alive. He said, this is a living stone. He says, that other deal was a building. Man, it blew him away when Nebuchadnezzar came to town back about 586 years before Christ came. Nebuchadnezzar walked right in the front door of the temple, just made off with everything in it, hauled it all back off to Babel, and they thought, surely God will strike him dead. Nobody goes into the Holy of Holies. He walks in there, just jerks that veil back, walks right into the Holy of Holies, says, load all this junk up, we're taking it all back home. And God never laid a hand on him. Because you see, they still had a temple, but they didn't have a God. They had forsaken God. Jesus Christ is telling us through Peter here that, look, I am a living stone. I'm not some old dead religion. I'm not a temple. It, it, will, it will do you no good to, to resurrect all of those temple rituals and, and, and all of those sacrifices and all of that. All of that has been done away with. Now I have paid the price, and now you have access to God through me. I, I like where... Uh, Paul tells us in Colossians, don't, don't be kissing shadows and worshiping shadows. I, I, I'll, I'll, I know you didn't think it was in there, but I'll read it to you. Therefore, second, or Colossians 2.16, therefore no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. He says, these things are a mere shadow of what is to come. But the substance, or the substance, belongs to Christ. Those were just shadows of what was coming. And he says to the church at Colossae, he says, when you start back worshiping those old Judaistic ideas, he says, that's just a shadow. It would be like you coming home from work, men, uh, maybe, and, and, and your wife, instead of kissing you, she kissed your shadow. You're not on the porch yet. Here, here I am, honey, the real thing. She might say, well, your shadow doesn't smell as bad as you do after a hard day of work. I don't know. But I can tell you the real thing is Jesus Christ. He says, why in the world are you trying to resurrect something that was pointing to the coming Messiah? The Messiah is here. Jesus Christ has come and died. Quit trying to resurrect those old ways of doing things. And I, I don't think we probably have too awful many in here that are trying to resurrect some Judaistic dietary law. Most of us don't look like it anyway. But sometimes it's real easy for us to fall into that grind of, well, me and God together is going to save me. I'm going to work real hard. I'm going to do the best I can, and what I can't do, God will do for me. Well, I hope you'll give up that now because you can't do anything. You can't do anything. You cannot bring yourself one millimeter closer to God on your own. Your righteousness, not to mention our sins, but our righteousness is filthy rags. Our sins are worse than that. But the best I have to offer God is detestable in His sight. I just have to trust him. He's approachable. He's alive. He's also acceptable. Oh, he was rejected by men, but verse 4 says, but he is choice and precious in the sight of God. I'm so glad of that. Because, you see, he represents me before God. And I'm never going to be acceptable before God. He's precious in the sight of, of, of God. I, I know before God I stink, but I, I love this verse in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. And walk in love as Christ has also loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. 
In other words, Jesus Christ, his sacrifice that he made for me, a sorry, worthless sinner in the nostrils of God is a sweet-smelling aroma. Why in the world would I ever try to replace that or add to that with the stench from my own fleshly religious works? I need to just trust in him because I was never going to measure up. That's the person he chose. Secondly, the place he chose for the story of redemption. The first time Jesus ever mentioned the church, he called it a building. I will build my church. He will continue with that same metaphor. He even tells us that you believers, you are living stones as well. You are part of this, and I'm going to put you together as alive, born again, resurrected as we sang about. You will come together, and I will build my house out of you. In other words, it'll be a spiritual house, not some place on 1186 Hudlow Road. And I'm glad we have this building. I always feel like I have to say this. I'm glad we have this building. I'm glad we're not out in the rain. I'm glad we got a great place to worship God. But I can tell you right now, this building is not the church. And we need to make sure that we get that straight in our minds. I'll never forget one time when I was a kid, someone robbed the church where we attended. I was just a a little boy at the time. And I remember, boy, going home and hearing my dad in that big deep voice of his saying, boy, I'm telling you right now, you you got to really be wicked to come to the house of God and rob it. Really, because you took an air conditioner out of a building, it's worse out of that building than it would be somebody's house down the street? No, it's just a building. Because I also remember that same deep voice sometimes, and he's with the Lord now, I hope and pray, and, 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 and all of that. But I'm just telling you, I also remember him, uh, he gave pastors a pretty hard time. My dad would only listen to one preacher ever in his whole life. Only one preacher would he ever listen to that preached past 12 o'clock. I'll let you guess who that was. Oh, we can tear our churches all to pieces, but you knocking out a window today is not anything comparable to us gossiping against each other because this building means nothing to God. But these fellow born-again believers in Christ, your brothers and sisters, we are living stones that God is building a spiritual house. So, number one, let's look at what Peter says. This house that God is building is a place where we find God's presence. Verse 5, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Man, most churches in America have buildings. But a lot of them, that's all they have. And one of the things that I would say, and I'm not just trying to look on the bright side, but this attack of this disease has come our way, and then the political climate has turned absolutely so dark, and and the future of our country and our surroundings right now is in such a state of, of, of disarray. I can tell you all of that together, it actually, the bright side of that, it might be that it will help some churches that have a building to realize that that is all they have is a building. They should have closed it years ago. Her church is all over this little county of ours. Man, I, I, I'm, I'm not, boy, we're a long ways from having it all together. I, I got that, but I, I can tell you, uh, boy, the churches are just, they, they, they still are meeting because, well, there's 10 of us left, and and, and our youth group starts at the age of 80 now, and, and, but we want to hang in there as long as we can. And, and, and some of them have tons of money in the bank, and uh, boy, I'm thinking what good that could do maybe on the mission field or whatever, but they're not thinking that way. I'm, I'm not trying to just be critical. I'm just telling you there are a lot of dead churches in this world. 
They used to say, I, I guess, I've heard it, Elvis has left the building. Christ has left a lot of buildings. And that's all that there is left is a building. It should be a place where we find God's presence. Not this physical structure, but when we come together as His people, whether it's in this building or in that field or in an old grocery store like where we used to meet or anywhere else. It's secondly a place where we find God's people. Verse 5, He said, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. As living stones, God is putting us together. Now, a single stone by itself doesn't uh, support very much. Uh, you can take a single stone, and most of the kids over in children's church could pick it up and carry it home with them today. But you take all of those stones, and you let God build us together, and it becomes a fortress. It becomes a bulwark for the truth of God. And, and if we let God build us together and, it, and it hear us together as a family of God, then I can tell you, we can stand up for the truth of God and, and be a fortress for, for, the, for what God has to say in this world. Otherwise, we're just a bunch of little lone rangers running around. I'm not just talking about coming to the meetings, but we are a family, and we are being built by God Himself. Well, it's a place where we find God's people. It's a place where we find His presence. Number three, the person He's chosen, the place He's chosen. How about the people He has chosen? The people chosen by God. And I would just say this, and we'll have to save that, the rest of that for another day. This is more about covenant than it is Calvinism, okay? It's more about covenant. So wherever you fall in all of that, it doesn't matter. But God has chosen us. He has entered a covenant with us. It's important. He first of all mentions our past in this passage. This really hit home with me. I believe it will some of you. He says you were called out of, number one, a place of darkness in verse 9, who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I wonder how many here today, if you were given time, you could stand up and testify and say, yeah, I was in a dark place, Pastor. I was in a dark place. Man, I, I see people in this world today, I, I, you just turn on the news and and you see stories that just blow your mind. People who kill their own children. I am amazed at what a sinful human being is capable of outside of the will of God. But I shouldn't be because I can still remember before February 13th, 1980, I too was in a dark place. I was in a dark place. We, we got a world full of people that are in a dark place. Do you, do you realize you, you think about the most cherished things in our life as human beings. Before we meet God, we're still a mess. Men commit the vast majorities of murders in, 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 I guess, the whole world, but especially here in the United States. We commit the vast majority of murders. The only time that women, the statistics of women committing murder is tied and even with the number of murders that men commit is when it comes to killing our own children. I'm not talking about abortion. I'm talking about shoving them down in a bathtub until they suffocate and drown. Women kill their own children just as often as men do. How in the world can that be? How in the world can that be? It's called sin. It's called sin. We have a world today that's just absolutely going crazy, and it's going to get worse because instead of offering people hope and something that can change their life, we think better housing, better schools, better neighborhoods, all of that. I am so sick and tired. As a matter of fact, I'm offended. Yep. I jumped on the bandwagon this week. I decided everybody else is I'm going to be. 
I'm tired of hearing about poverty making people go down to the end of the street and blowing somebody's brains out. I guarantee you most of those people weren't as poor as I was growing up as a kid, and I've already told you that story. But I, I, I had parents who raised me the right way, or a grandma that raised me the right way. And yep, there was an old red plum tree just right outside the kitchen, and she kept going out there and breaking hickories off of it and wearing them out on me and my brother, mostly my brother. But man, I'm going to tell you something. And there was a time I thought if it ripped one for you don't die, one of us is, Steve. But that woman was teaching us something. That woman was a child of God. She'd get on her face and pray and put her face down on the floor and pray. And we were raised in an old house that was so ranty and, and such a shack that, that, man, you could just see through the walls. And we had one room that was heated, and, and it, it was just, I've told you the story. I, I don't want to go back through that again, but I can tell you something. I'm tired of people acting like, well, if you're raised in poverty, if you just had a, you know, a, a a better home life, more things, you know, at, at Christmas or whatever, uh, then you might not have grown up to spend the rest of your life in prison. That is a lie. That is an excuse, friend. I know a ton of poor people. Me and Terry Skidmore back there, we, we, like, we, can, we like talking about those old days, not like we want to go back to them. I hear people say, boy, I'd love to, love to go back to those old simple times. You never climbed over in a feeder with icicles all over it and try to scatter out hay and keep cows from chewing your feet off all at the same time. Knowing better than to go back to the house and tell dad that it's too cold to be out here because he would give you a good warming and send you back out there. I'm not so sure about those good old days, but I can tell you this. Our problem in our world is sin. It's sin, a place of darkness. Secondly, a place of detachment in verse 10. It says, for you were not a people. He's talking to us Gentiles. You were not a people, but now you are the people of God. I mentioned this verse a while ago. Let me read it to you. Deuteronomy 32, 21. As a matter of fact, Paul in the book of Romans chapter 10, verse 19, he quotes this. He says, Moses talked about this. Well, where did Moses talk about it? Well, right here in Deuteronomy 32, God told Moses, he says, they have made me jealous with what is not God. He says, they have provoked me to anger with their idols, so will I make them jealous with those who are not my people. He's talking about us. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. Here's the foolish nation. We are Gentiles. And God was telling Moses 1,400 years before Christ that the day will come that you'll watch the Jews get all jealous and all put out because I am going to come and I'm going to offer salvation to a eunuch in Acts chapter 8. One who was dared to never come close to the temple. Because he was considered mutilated and unclean. Oh man, I was too. God loved me. Shoo. Make sure you understand that we were not a people. We were not a people. And now we belong to God. It was also a place of doom as well. It says, you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That's, that's all I could receive. We talked a few weeks ago about the difference between pity and mercy, right? Pity is something that you may deserve. Mercy is something you never deserve, never deserve. The definition of mercy is lost if you deserve it at all. Pity you may deserve. Mercy is that which you have all ready foregone. You have, you, have, you have already passed that point of being loved by anyone or anything, and God gave us His loving kindness anyway. Talked about our past, then He talks about our present. Talking about the people that He chose. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. 
a chosen race, first of all. That was language that used to be used only for Israel. But Paul tells us in the book of Galatians, now there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Yeah, hallelujah. We are the chosen people of God. And I know some people, boy, having that dual covenant idea where, well, the Jews have their covenant and the Gentiles have their covenant, all that. I know it makes for more exciting books when it comes to eschatology. But after hearing just what you've heard today, do you see any reason whatsoever for the temple to be rebuilt? I don't either. Oh, I know. You can send me the book, but go ahead and buy it and send it to me. I may read it. I don't know. But I doubt it. I can just tell you all of that that idea. You know, people ask me, what do you think God's going to do to save the nation of of Israel? Uh, Down the cross? That's what he said. He said, I came to bring salvation, the gospel. It's the power to save for the Jew first. And then to the Greek. We are a chosen race. He says you are a royal priesthood. A royal priesthood. Two words. Royal means we represent a kingdom. And priesthood means we represent the king. The word for priest is pontifex. The pope uh, or the the, uh, uh, emperor of Rome would call himself pontifex maximus. The pope would also call himself Pontifex Maximus. But Pontifex is bridge builder. That's what the word means. Pons is bridge. In Latin, and Pontifex is one who builds the bridge. As priests, we are bridge builders. We represent God to people. We are able to not save anybody, but they should see God in our life, working in our life, and see our testimony. And as we reach out to them, we are able to represent God. I can't save a single person in this world, and there's not one single sin against God that I can ever forgive, and neither can any other human being on this planet, by the way. But we are priests. We represent the kingdom, and we represent the king. A chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Again, a holy nation. That's a different kind of nation. We are a nation whose Savior is God. And and, and let me say this, because we're nearing the end here, but boy, i got to tell you something. Don't forget that our Savior is God. It wasn't Donald Trump. This will shock you, but it won't be Joe Biden. And I understand. Don't get get me started. I I know, buddy. (laughs) I, I can chew the fat with the best of them when it comes to a lot of things. And I think way too many issues run and hides behind politics and us Christians just leave them alone. And we don't stand for the truth because we think we're staying out of politics and we think we're avoiding an argument while the world goes to hell in a handbag because we're not speaking any truth into what is going on around us. But I say stand for the truth. Stand for what is right and stand against what is wrong. But make sure you never forget that Jesus Christ is our Savior, not somebody we put in the White House. That is vital for us. He says, fourthly, we are God's own possession. Boy, how cool is that? Often the value of things are not found within the thing itself, but somebody famous owned it. Uh, I, I, I looked up some of these. Because a pair of eyeglasses, probably that cost about what these would over at Walmart, they brought $179,250 because they had once belonged to Abraham Lincoln. Just the simple things. Within themselves, they're worthless. 
I, I, I read down through there. I don't remember all. Man, a pair of, of Air Jordans signed by Michael Jordan. Lord have mercy. Can't afford them. I don't even remember what they cost. It was incredible. I'm not sure who Scarlett Johansson is. I'm not as up on the Hollywood folks as I ought to be. I guess she played in Gone with the Wind. Is that right? She blew her nose on a Kleenex somewhere. I'm not kidding you. And dropped it on the floor, and somebody went out on the stage and found it and sold it for $5,300. Do I hear 63? Man, I put some more sweat on it. Price just went up. You better get it now. How ridiculous is that? The woman blew her nose. That's why I thought she was in Gone with the Wind. But she blew her nose on a Kleenex. And they sold a nasty Kleenex for $5,300. Wow. But you know, it's a good reminder for me that within myself, I wouldn't bring what a dirty Kleenex would bring. But I'm valuable because I belong to God. I am His possession. I belong to Him. He talks about our past. He also talks about our present. And then last of all, as we close, He talks about our future so that you may proclaim, verse 9, the excellencies of Him. That's what God called us to do. I know around here we kind of have it because we preach it a lot. But in most churches, I would say, you could ask what is the purpose of the church and you would get a variety of answers. Permission to speak out loud. What is the purpose of the church? To glorify God. That's the purpose of the church. Well, somebody would say, well, no, well, our purpose of the church is to win people to the Lord. Why is winning people to the Lord important? Because it glorifies God. Everything God made was to glorify Him. Remember when you go back to the very first of what we said? God is a God of love. And he created this whole universe to glorify himself, not in some kind of narcissistic, sinful fashion, but to show himself as loving, merciful, unchanging, and holy. And when creation got all out of sorts, he knew when he created the place that he would pay the ultimate price to be able to redeem, there's our word, creation, to bring it back to where it had been to start with, walking with God, speaking freely with Him until sin ruined it all. He created a place to glorify Himself. Remember, glorify means to show something for what it is. Remember that? Talked about it a lot. It's like having a a vase. You shine it. You don't have to add to it, just shine it. You just take the tarnish off and let the vase shine through. That's polishing. That, that's what glorifying is. And we don't have to add anything to God. Don't put anything on God. Just let God shine through. Show the world who God is. He created this whole universe to show us who and what He is like. And he has given us as his church one task, and that is to glorify him, to show the world what he is like. Man, I, I don't know where you might be today in your heart and your walk with God. Man, I sat here today and I cried, I rejoiced. <sighs> I, and I promise you something. Hang on. 
promise you something. I, I know I've gotten more expressive lately. And you know I've been through a tough time with this. It, it wasn't easy. And no, I, I'm, I'm not going to look at you today and go, man, I'm glad this happened. No, I'm not. But I can tell you something. There's something about sitting in a tree stand bleeding to death. When things start to get dark and voices sound further away than ever, and your arm is pumping your life's blood out, and you're 20 feet in the air and a bunch of people below you that can't figure out how to get you down. And when you feel like life is fading away, and you feel like you are, about to step into eternity. And that peace that you've had in your life is still there. And you actually whisper the words to God, I'm coming home, Lord. I'm coming home. And some of you messed it all up because you started praying No, I cherish those prayers. Because one day, I, I, if the Lord tarries his coming, I'll get, I'll get another chance, okay? I can't, or when I was down at the prostitutes, boy, I got to practice that word before I get myself in a mess. I'm seeing a prostitutes in Charlotte. But when they told me, they said, now you're going to have to be careful. And I looked down at my arm and I thought, me? Really? You tell all your people that have shot a limb off with a high-powered rifle to start being careful? Seriously? I can just tell you, though, friend, I'll get another chance one day. I appreciate your prayers so much, but I can't tell you what it'll do for you when you get an opportunity to see that, you know what I've preached all these years? It really is true. He will never leave you and forsake you. And he gave me a peace in my heart that it's okay. Matter of fact, I was so excited about it while they were down on the ground trying to figure out how to get me out of the tree. I stood up and come down the ladder. It wasn't easy, but I did, decided if God would help me, I wasn't going to sit there and bleed to death. I want to come here and tell you all about this today. God is good. If you don't know him as your Savior, if all you know about him is just he's a God and we ought to try to live better, if, 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 that's, if that's all you know, are you a church member? Is that what you're thinking? I ask people sometimes, are you, are you a born-again Christian? And they'd give me the, I think so, maybe so. Really? You think so, maybe so? What if I ask you, are you married? Would you go, well, I'd, I'd say we are. I, I, really? You'd get an elbow. You either are or you're not. Man, let's pray together. Bow our heads. Close our eyes. Maybe right now, instead of listening to this preacher close this service in prayer, maybe you already know what you need to do is say, God, I, I'm not sure about everything he talked about today. There's a lot of words he used. I, I'm not quite positive what they may mean or whatever. I don't know where you are with all that. But maybe you'd like to tell God right now, Lord, I, I, I want that kind of relationship with you. J just tell him that. Admit to him that you're in a dark place. Admit that to him. And maybe you're not a horrible person. Maybe you've never killed anybody or stolen anything or whatever. I, I, I understand that. 
I think sometimes the worst, the, the most difficult person in the world to get them to really come to a, a true saving knowledge of Christ is one that has a good, clear knowledge of church. They've gone all their life. They know how it all works. Maybe they were christened as a child. I don't know. Baptized as an adult. Joined a church. Moved a letter. Whatever you did. I, if you begin to look at all of that as if, well, that, that must, must count. It doesn't. Just tell him right now, Lord, I want a real relationship with you. I don't deserve it, but Forgive me of my sinfulness, God, and be my Savior. Our Father, we come to you right now, and I ask you, Lord, to maybe be with that person that's sitting here this morning that is really struggling. God, it wasn't my intention to cause doubt, but if that's what your Word has done, then so be it, Lord. If it's awakened someone to the possibility that perhaps he or she doesn't have a real relationship with you, that they would not leave this place today until they have. I pray, God, you speak to all of our hearts and help us, encourage us. God, there are folks here that are going through difficult times. Some have been sick with COVID. Others, Lord, have lost loved ones. Others, God, have had other things going on in their life, difficult. Lord, it's, it's a difficult time. And we thank you, Father, for this letter that you've given us, written so many years ago, but yet it's alive, and, and it's, your word is living. And, and God, it speaks to us just as it spoke to your church so many years ago. Thank you, Father, for sending this word of encouragement to us. We pray for our nation. We pray for our nation's leaders. We pray for all of those in our world, God, that have no clue that you love them and care for them. Help us, God, to be more vigilant in sharing the gospel with them. We give ourselves to you now, Father. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions or would like to know more about Cornerstone, please visit our website at ServantsWay.com or email us at office at ServantsWay.com. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 1186 Hudlow Road, Forest City, North Carolina. Please join us again next week.